Life is full of transitions. In fact, every time you turn around, it seems like there's another transition that you're having to go through, whether that is a birthday, rolls around every 365 days, what, 365 to quarter, if we want to get real technical, throw a little leap year in there, or graduations. I mean, good land. Hallmark has made a racket out of graduations. You got preschool graduation, kindergarten graduation, elementary graduation, middle school graduation, high school graduation, college graduation. And gra I'm, really? Really? There's transitions with work, new bosses, new owners, new coworkers, or even new jobs or career paths that we're taking down. There's transitions in families. Babies are born, grandparents or parents passing, kids going to college and growing up and moving away. Life is full of transitions. But there's some of those transitions that occur that I don't think sometimes we're ready for. I, I, I think we think we're ready for them, but when they actually get here, it's like, oh, darling, what in the world happened? And it just flat rocks our world. The birth of my children changed everything for me. Now, Kathy and I have been married for six years. Six years. It had been the two of us. We wanted to do something. You jumped in the car and you went and did it. Yeehaw comes along sitting right back there. Yes. The glorious Miss Elizabeth. And Everything changed. You had to pack the kitchen sink to go to the grocery. It wasn't just the two of you anymore. It was you had this little itty bitty thing that couldn't take care of itself. And it was like, welcome to adulting. Transitions. Other transitions that have shocked my world in the last couple of years is going from one of the young whippersnappers to sir, don't like it. I want to go back the other way. And I don't know if it was one of those things when it clicked off on 50 where that changed, because it wasn't the gray hair or the white beard, because I've had that for a long time. But it is now I am sir to so many people. And it's like, mm, don't like that one. Another transition that I was warned about, but that you really hope doesn't happen for, and this is one of these things for guys, we end up getting as much hair on our back and in our ears as is on our head oftentimes. Yeah, truth? <laughs> oh yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Transitions happen with us physically. What I could do at 35, I couldn't even dream of now. At 35 years of age, I could take one month, 30 days, and I could train and be ready to put a 70 to 75 pound pack on my back and head off for the mountains and spend four or five days, six days, walking up and down the hills, never even miss a lick. Yeah, you might be a little sore now, but yeah, ain't happening now. I mean, I get up, run around the block a couple of times, you come in, sit down, so exhausted, you can't even pick the block up and put it in the toy box anymore. I mean, it's just, yeah, some of y'all got to think about that one. Some of you know where I'm going with that, though, too, and you understand that. Well, Luke started this out last week on this whole series of transitions 
going back and looking at the life of the Israelites when they were transitioning from Moses' leadership into the leadership of Joshua, from a life of wandering in the wilderness to getting ready to enter the promised land that God had set before them. Now, if you weren't able to join us last week online or here on site, I'd love to encourage you to go to YouTube and check that out and hear what Luke had to say. And in that message, he had this key idea that, that flowed through the whole, the whole message that he kept bringing up and he kept putting on the screen was this idea that 2020 was not a waste. That 2020 was not a waste. You see, it's all about what we can learn from the trials, struggles, in difficult times that many of us experienced. Several years ago, Max Lucado told the story of Chippy the parakeet. Chippy had just been purchased by his owner and she brought him home and had his all cage decked out. Well, after about three or four days, she thought, you know, I might probably ought to clean his cage out. So she got him and she started cleaning the top and she cleaned down through the middle and she thought, you know, this is going, it's taking way longer than it should. So she broke out the vacuum cleaner to get all the the shavings and stuff and the other stuff that finds its way to the bottom. So she's working on that. The phone rings and she reaches over and answers it, not thinking where the vacuum hose is pointed. And she hears a thump. You've been there, done that in the car? Under the seat, thump. You're like, what in the world was that? Like, you know, the, the, the shock and the dismay. She said, why? And it, surely not. And she turns and looks and Sure enough, Chippy's gone. So in a state of panic, she rips the front of the vacuum off and rips the vacuum bag out and tears it open. And there sits this pork parakeet covered with all the dust and grime and goop. And she's thinking, what do I do now? So just, I mean, what's, go to the bathroom. You wash him off. Well, the poor thing shivered and carrying on, and she's like, I'm going to kill him. So she grabs the hairdryer, blasts him on high. Well, a reporter heard about this and, and came and interviewed her and asked her. She said, so, so how's Chippy doing? To which his owner replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. There's a whole lot of us that might feel like Chippy after this tumultuous 2020. Having this difficult, often trying year, as it comes to a close and as we transition into 2021, I want us to look at some scriptural principles that we're gonna pull out of Joshua 1. These are scriptural principles that will help us embrace the future and will help us have success, not just in 2021, but in the years ahead and in our endeavors. I want you to listen to Joshua 1, 1 through 9 with me. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to go across the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give you to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as promised to Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Three separate times here in our text, God implores, God encourages Joshua, be strong and courageous. Now here's this guy looking at the greatest challenge that he's ever had to face in life, leading this ragtag bunch of people that he's been with. He grew up with these people. He saw these people gripe. He saw them complain. We don't have anything to eat. We should have just stayed in Egypt. Why do we want to go back to Egypt? He knew what he was getting into. And here is God saying, be strong and courageous. God calls us to that exact same challenge. Be strong and courageous. And many of us are thinking, yeah, right in the middle of all this mess, how in the world am I supposed to do this? And the truth is, you aren't. You aren't on your own. You're not supposed to be strong and courageous on your own. God is the one that supplies the strength and the courage. And when we try to live out that truth on our own, we fail and fail miserably. In my study this week, I came across this thought, God's presence and his promises fuel my courage and strength. So how are we to find God's presence and promises that allow me to understand that, that allow me to have this this strength and this courage become a part of my life? Well, Joshua shares with us four truths right here in these nine verses that help us figure that out, that allow us to understand God's strength and his courage. And we'll be real honest. For some of you that have been at this life for a long time, you're going to sit here and go, yep, know that, heard that, understand that, know that. But it's always a good reminder. For some of you, this may be the very first time you hear some of this. And it can be if you allow these truths and these principles to just soak into your life and you buy into them and you begin to live them, God can radically flip your life upside down into something you could have never even dreamed or imagined. Here we go. The first truth we need to see is that we need to determine God's desire. God's desire for Joshua was laid out for him. There wasn't a whole lot of what ifs written into it. What do you want him to do? Go in the land, take the people into the land. That is your job right now. Moses is dead, you're it, do this. This is what Moses was supposed to do. Moses doesn't get to do this because Moses messed it up. He whacked the rock rather than speaking to the rock. And in that simple act of disobedience, 
all that stuff Moses had dealt with, he didn't get to experience that promise God had provided. He got to see it. Scripture says Moses, God took him up on a high school and he could look out into it and he could, he could see it out there, but he didn't get to experience it. Now again, there's this, this big old backstory that I want to kind of build up to, to, to help us understand this point in Israel's history. Moses has been their leader for the last 40 years. Moses grew up with his Egyptian. He killed an Egyptian. He had to run for his life. First 40 years, he's, he was, grew up as an Egyptian. The next 40 years, he lived out and away. God called him out of a burning bush, and the next 40 years of his life was spent bringing his people as slaves out of Egypt. It was the whole deal with the Pharaoh and all the plagues and all the stuff going on. And all in the middle of this, Joshua has been Moses' right-hand man. He's been there right beside him. Now, here's the whole kind of twist in this. Had Israel listened to Joshua 40 years ago, we wouldn't have been here. If you know the story, Moses developed this group of spies. If you were in, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna date myself here. In, in, in kids' church, we had this little song, 12 men went to spy on Canaan. Anybody remember that, Luke, you're shaking your head? 10 were bad, two were good. What did they see when they went to Canaan? 10 were bad, two were good. It was Joshua and Caleb were the two good ones. Joshua and Caleb saw the land. They saw it for what it was. They said, it flows with milk and honey. The 10 said, there's giants. We look like locusts in their presence. And because of their fear and their worry and not grasping the power of God, they swayed the entire nation of Israel not to go into the promised land. And for 40 years, Israel wandered because of that disobedience. And here we are, right here at the crux again. Remember, Joshua's seen it all. He's been right in the middle of it. He, he's Moses' right-hand guy. He, he's watched people complain. He's watched them gripe. He's watched them whine. But he knows what God's desire and purpose is for his life. Take them in. Now, I have a question for you. Do you know what God's purpose or desire is for your life? You might. You might not. You may be struggling. Well, I have no idea what he would want from me. I, I have no idea what he would call me to do. I have no idea. Well, let me just, you, you may, he, there are two simple ones that he wants everybody. Number one, he wants nothing more than to have a, a relationship with you. That's his bottom line desire. When we just did this whole thing with Christmas last week. Everything about Christmas is his desire to have a relationship with you because he sent Jesus to be born of a virgin, to live on this earth, to go to the cross and die for my sin and to be raised on that third day. It's all about that relationship he wants with you. I mean, John 3, 16, the dude holds it up at the football and it's like I tell you, I'm telling you, the truth is still the truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Maybe your purpose or God's desire for you is to get to know him again. 
You knew him at one time. Man, you were thick as thieves. You were right there together. You did everything. I mean, it was just, it was tight. It was sweet. And something happens. You find yourself drifting away. And God wants nothing more than to bring that back together in that sweet harmony. A second desire God has for all his people is that you reflect him in everything you do. When people look at you, do they see God? Do they see Jesus? Or or does that depend on where you're at? You see, I should look the same here at church as I do at work, as I do at the ball field, as I do in my hobbies, as I do on the golf course. And yeah, I know that's next to impossible because the game's built to make people cuss. Do you reflect him in everything you do? If not, maybe it's time to step back and reassess and say, okay, God, I know that's your desire. How how do we get back in line? See, the first truth of understanding and experience that strength and comfort or courage that God can give us is that we need to determine his desire or his purpose for my life. When we know what we're called to do or be, it feeds that strength and courage that God has called his people into. Now, second truth that also provides that strength and courage is to simply remember God's promises. God always keeps his promises. He has never once failed to follow through with a promise that's been made. Look at Joshua chapter 1 verse 3. So I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Now the promise was made here to both Joshua and the people of Israel. Now they had to go do something about it though. It wasn't that they was just there. They had to go and they had to conquer that land. They had to go in and take the land. They had to go in and possess the land that God had promised. And time after time, in fact I think there's over 20 times that God says I am giving it to you. But they, in faith, had to go in and possess it and take it over. That promise wasn't just given to them. That promise was started centuries before. That promise was originally made to Abraham. Remember when God called Abraham out of Ur? I'll give you a great, I'm going to make this nation, this great nation. I'm going to give you this land. All this is going to be yours. Abraham didn't get to experience and understand that promise here on this earth, but but he saw, I'm sure he saw it. God promised success to Joshua. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Time after time, God has promised to provide for his people. And those promises continue for us today. Now, here's the rub in this, though. Sometimes people struggle with this because the enemy gets in their ear and he starts talking and he starts whispering. And he may use other people and he may use other circumstances to say, well, God's not providing for you like he has them. How's come? Maybe God doesn't love you anymore. Maybe God doesn't care about you anymore. See where that goes? We've all experienced that. We've all struggled with that at some point in our walk. But that's the enemy. That's the enemy wanting you to pull you away from the promises that God has made. I am with you and I will never leave or forsake you. Romans 8, 31, one of my dad's favorite passages. If God is for us, 
who can be against us? Church, if we live that out, have mercy, what could we do? If we truly believed if God is for me, then who can stand against me? Knowing God always has my back, knowing that he always gives me the strength and courage to face whatever life throws at me, knowing he is there, never leaving, never forsaking, never quitting on. Let me, let me throw a little side note here. I talked a little bit about, ago about how you know, sometimes we, we, we find ourselves drifting. Um, several years ago, I found myself in a really uh, unique time in life. Um, I thought I knew what God wanted me to do. I thought I'd done what God wanted me to do. I thought I'd lived out what God had wanted me to do, but, but all that was just kind of, the whole rug was pulled out from under me. And, and I, I was like, what? what's up with that? What's up with that? I'm, I'm not, God, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what, what you're trying to teach me here. I'm not, trying, I'm not sure exactly what you're trying to to help me understand or, or to experience or, or learn from in this situation. And um, I struggled. Oh, my goodness, I struggled. I struggled. What's my purpose? God, what's your desire for my life? And, and in the midst of that, I, I, I did. I found myself kind of moving. I had a, a mentor that sat down with me one day, and I was explaining this to him. I mean, I mean, I'd gone four years to Bible college. I thought, God wants you in ministry. And then it's like, ah, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? And I shared with him, I said, man, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like, you know, God's like way, way, way out yonder. And this wise mentor just, you know, with, with the most gentle spirit was like, John, Watch. He said, you feel like God's way out there. It ain't God that's moved. God's not gone anywhere. He's the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. He does not move. He does not change. So if you're in that relationship and you're like, man, God's just not, he ain't go anywhere. He ain't go anywhere. He's right where he's always been. A third truth that provides strength and courage is for us to know and to live God's word. Joshua 1 verse 8 says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So what's God calling Joshua and us to do? He's, he's calling us to talk about his word. He's calling us to be a part of our life. He's calling us to talk about it with friends. He's calling for us to talk about it with brothers and sisters. He's talking about it to be a part of everyday life. There's not just something, yeah, I do that on Sunday. This is Monday. This is Tuesday. This is Wednesday. This is Thursday. This is Friday. It's probably especially on Saturday when ball's on. This is Sunday. It's every day. It's every day of your life. Parents, my prayer is that you are introducing your children to God's word from the time they are born. And not just at church. 
But that is every day of their life. Whether it's at the dinner table, whether it is doing homework, whether it is putting them to bed, whether it is family devote, what, that it is every day that you are pouring God's word into those children. Deuteronomy chapter six says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and buy them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I am so grateful for parents who live that out. Everything, everything was about God. Students, my prayer is that you will dig into the truth of God's word that it provides, for it shows us direction in how to live. Psalm 119.9, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Church, my prayer is that we can also claim with the psalmist, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I want you to think with me for a minute. When Jesus was baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan River, he, he goes off into the wilderness for 40 days. He goes off and spends time in the wilderness. At the end of that 40 days, Satan comes to him and he starts tempting him and he starts questioning him. Hey, you know, if you really are, then you can. How does Jesus respond to him? Talk to me. Scripture uses the word. Satan throws it out, boom, Jesus responds with the word. Satan throws it out, boom, Jesus responds back with the word. When we're tempted, how do we respond? Do we have enough of it hidden within us? Do we have enough of it tucked away inside our heart that we're able to combat the enemy with the truths that God's given us? You see, it's not just enough to know it, it's not just enough to read it. It's not just enough to study it. He encourages Joshua here to meditate on it. Any of you grow up on a farm, around cows? My grandpa taught me this lesson. He said, John, when you meditate on the word, he says, like that old cow out there. He says, she's out there going, <coughs> swallows her down. How do I do this politely? Works its way back up. How's that? Chews on it some more. It's exactly what we do when we meditate. You chew on it. It's a literal translation. You chew on it. You mull it over. You just constantly, it's rolling around in your mind. What is it saying to me today? And then it's not just enough to do that. Is that we've got to put it into practice. You see, if it's all here and it's all here and it doesn't put out here, where I put it into practice, doesn't do any good. Does absolutely no good. Okay, guys, I'm gonna pick on you for a minute. How many of you ever been guilty of putting something together without the instruction manual? You would not believe the amount of bicycles, the amount of furniture, even a Barbie dream house. I thought, who needs an instruction manual? Got this. And you get her all together and there's about 10 pieces left over and you're thinking, okay, when's the wheel gonna fall off and kill my child? 
So you scrap it, you start all over, and you grab the instruction book. It's right there, church. Everything we need for life is right there. Don't wait till life is chaos. Don't wait till life is a mess to go, God, what did you say? Get in it, figure it out, put it into practice, and God will give you strength and courage because of your faithfulness. A fourth truth, our last one we're gonna look at that we can see from Joshua is that we're to savor God's presence. We'll go to verse nine now. It says, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you believe that truth? God's with us wherever. Oh, it's a resounding. We believe that. Do we live it? Not always. And I'm not poking fingers at you. I'm poking fingers right here in my own chest. I'm as guilty as anybody. I know that truth, but I don't. Don't live that out fully all the time. We talked about that promise earlier. You're never alone. God's always with you. I will protect you. I'll watch over you. I've got your back. I've got your front. But we take that truth for granted, or at least I do, because I don't think I truly savor or delight in the fact that the creator of the universe loves and cares for me and wants what's best for me. When you're struggling with being strong, when you're caving in instead of demonstrating courage, remember that you are always and forever, as long as you draw breath on the face of this earth, surrounded by the presence of God. And his constant presence can give us power to do what he's called us to do. We can have strength and courage because of his character. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for these truths that Joshua was shown. Truths that Joshua lived out as you go through that entire book. God, it is amazing what you work through him of him going in and taking over that land, of them going in and claiming the promise that you had done and made to them. God, of his leadership. Father, I pray that we can take these truths and, and we can just instill them in our life. That we can begin to work on them, that, that God, in the midst of working on them, that that in turn raises up that strength and courage that you provide because I know I'm not by myself. And I'm not going to be hung out to dry because you are always with me. Father, I thank you, thank you, thank you for that promise. So I, I savor God's presence in so many ways. Um, I love to spend time in this creation. Nothing, nothing tops me experiencing God and savoring him as me sitting on a mountaintop just looking at what he's built and what he made. I savor God's presence when I take time to stop and, and realize how he's blessed me. 
and continually blesses my life. I savor God's presence when I'm smacked in the face with the gravity of my sin, the darkness of my sin, and the fact that my God loves me so much that he provided a way out. But one of my favorite ways of savoring God's presence is when I use my voice in worship to him. Whether that's me in my truck by myself belting it out, of which I'm thankful, or singing it with my brothers and sisters in Christ together online, in the overflow, or in this room. So church, as we close out 2020 and go into 2021, we're going to put that into practice, savoring God's presence and using our voices in worship. Would you stand with us?